0: The Lord be with you reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew Jesus said to the chief priests and the elders of the people hear another parable there was a landowner who planted a vineyard put a hedge around it dug a wine press in it and built a tower then he leased it to tenants and went on a journey When vintage time drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to obtain his produce. But the tenants seized the servants, and one they beat, another they killed, and a third they stoned. Again, he sent other servants, more numerous than the first ones, but they treated them in the same way. Finally, he sent his son to them, thinking, They'll respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and acquire his inheritance. They seized him, threw him out of the vineyard, and killed him. What will the owner of the vineyard do to those tenants when he comes? They answered him, He will put those wretched men to a wretched death and lease his vineyard to other tenants, who will give him the produce at the proper times. Jesus said to them, Did you never read in the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. By the Lord has this been done, and it is wonderful in our eyes. Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people that will produce its fruits. The Gospel of the Lord. So this week and last week, the the Gospels are directly connected. It's a continuation. And last week, we heard Jesus tell a parable about two sons who a father was asking to go and work out in, in 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 the vineyard. And the first son, remember, he says no, but then later changes and goes and does it. And the second son says, sure, but then never does it. And he asks them, like, who's, which son's righteous son, which son's the right son? And they say, the first one. And so he reminds, he's talking to the chief priests and the elders, he reminds them and says, yeah, even the tax collectors and the prostitutes, the people who have not followed the Lord, the people who have said no, are now repenting and turning back and saying yes. They're, they're changing their ways, as opposed to you, chief priests and elders, who have said yes, but then don't follow through. You're not doing what's asked of you. And so, right there, he he reminds them that the kingdom of heaven is going to be far from them. Well, the parable continues today. He tells another one. And it's never a good idea to, like, you know, give a parable to Jesus' parable. But if we had to think about this in modern terms, imagine you were, like, a house renter, right, And you put all this time into buying properties and renovating homes, and then you'd rent it out to people. And then you're thinking, okay, it's time for me to collect my rent. And you send, you know, different employers that you have to go and and get it. And the tenants are just like, we're not paying you. In fact, we're going to probably kill you. Like, that sounds kind of radical. Well, the landowner here who planted a vineyard is God, right? The vineyard is, is for us. It's it's earth. It's, it's where we live. It's, it's what we experience. He put so much time and care into it, right? He put a hedge around it, He dug a wine press, built a tower. Like, he gave us the writs. You know, he made it the best. And then he leased it to tenants, right? The tenants in this situation are the people of Israel, right? The chosen people. Like, hey, I'm going to give you this amazing opportunity, and so vintage time draws near. He wants to obtain the produce. Like, I want to receive the, the, the benefits back. I want the graces back that I've given. And so he sends servants, right? The servants here are the prophets, particularly in the Old Testament, the prophets who are called to go and proclaim the coming of Christ, the coming of, of the Lord. You could also say that the servants could be, in one sense, the saints who live in the era of the New Testament, the saints who have gone out on mission to proclaim Christ throughout the world, uh, who have been martyred for their faith, right? So the tenants sees the servants, right, the, the chosen people take the ones who are supposed to be giving this message, and they kill them, right? Killed, stoned, beat. So he sends more and more and more. It's like he's not giving up. He's like, I'm going to keep trying. And then finally he sends the son. Well, I'll give you one guess at who you think the son is in this, in this parable, Jesus, right? They'll respect my son. How did that work out for him? Not very well. And so he tells this in the form of a story again to the chief priests and elders. And he asks them, like, what do you think should happen to them? If we, asked, if we told this story without any other context, and you say, what do you think should happen? Probably in each of us, some sense of justice. Some sense of even, like, vengeance might be creeping out. Vengeance would be bad. Justice is okay. But that'd be creeping out. and so said, you should probably punish the people who did those terrible things. And Jesus, he doesn't say, you're right. But he actually gives them a whole other line in Scripture about the stone, right? And you think about buildings and cornerstones. You, you want the most... You want the most perfect stone to set the foundation for your building. And Jesus is saying the, the stone the builders rejected, the stone that was, was cast aside, is actually the one that's going to become the cornerstone. Hint, he's talking about himself. And so without saying it, he says, guess what? What you've said as far as those tenants being put to a wicked death and and finding new people, that's you. You chief priests, elders, you're the wicked tenants, and you deserve death, and kingdom of heaven is going to be far from you. And so there's a sense of, like, piercing that should occur here. Like, it it should pierce our hearts, like, because in one sense, we are also the tenants of the modern era. We, as Christians— are God's people, like we are his disciples, we are followers of the Lord, and we've been given great opportunities and great responsibilities to build up the kingdom, this vineyard, to produce fruit and graces for others to come and know him, and we've just at times squandered that. So in that first reading, when we get another image in Isaiah about the vineyard, right, this this landowner who puts all his time and energy and effort into making this awesome place, and then what's he get? Wild grapes. I mean, he he busted his butt to make sure everything was going to be nice and good and perfect, and he gets wild grapes. What if we are the wild grapes? What if that can be related to us like the Lord gives us every opportunity to come to know him to say yes and then we go off and do our own crazy thing. See, the danger here, even in that second reading with Philippians, right, the danger here is that we become anxious over worldly things. We, we seek after all of the money of the world or all of the power or all of the fame, whatever it is, and instead we fail to recognize that there's a peace that God wants to give us which surpasses our ability to fully understand things. But that's what he's longing for us to receive. And, and it's also interesting to think about how in Scripture things kind of get repeated, you know, a few different times. So think about even uh, two weeks ago when we had the, the story of the the... Owner who hired different uh, laborers at different times of the day, right? And the people that got hired at the very end of the day got paid the exact same wage as the ones who got hired at the beginning of the day. And you could say, man, like there's not a there's a lack of justice here. But it's it's God's it's God's graces. Who are we to dictate how God should should give out His graces, should give out His gifts? And so the real Uh, The real warning in that gospel from two weeks ago was for us to not become envious, to not look at what others have and say, well, they don't deserve that. Instead, it's to rejoice that the Lord decided to give them that gift. Just like in last Sunday's gospel, like, yeah, we might say no at first, but as long as we repent and turn towards the Lord, we have this conversion of heart you know, it'll work out better for us than if we were to say yes and then just never follow through. Like, why are the tax collectors and prostitutes' hearts so open to change and transformation, but the the scribes and the Pharisees and the chief priests are so reluctant because they have pride. They think they know it all, but in fact, they they've forgotten they need a Savior. And even today, right, like, do we... Do we follow through on what God is asking? And and there's something that kind of comes through in all of these different Gospels as of late. And it's kind of hard to hear. God's disappointed in us. And it's like, whoa, like God can't be disappointed in me. He's supposed to love me. Well, I bet as all of you who are parents have probably can say that you've probably been disappointed in your child at some point. It doesn't mean you don't love them. But you're disappointed in how they behave or act, or what they 've done you 've probably been disappointed in in a friendship or relationship of some kind, at least for me and I, I can't speak for all of you obviously, but for me if if a person was mad at me growing up okay that was that would be hard, but I could get through that if a person was was sad or there was some difficulty or frustration, like okay but if my parents or my coaches or my teachers would ever say, Jay, I'm just really disappointed in you, that's just like a dagger to my heart. Like, that'd be the worst thing you could tell me. And I don't know why that is, but, like, to think that I could disappoint a person, I could fail to live up to the standards or expectations they set, which are probably good for me, just cuts way deeper Then, well, I'm upset you did that thing. Okay, well, we're going to get over that. But disappointment just has this piercing effect. And so, in a sense, God's disappointed in his people. And we have to kind of think about that for ourselves. Like, for the modern church, right, the modern church, us, not just the, the physical buildings, what is God disappointed in. It's probably something like this. It's probably something where he he has all these people who have all this ability, all this access to know him, and they choose to run from him. They choose to make their own standards. They choose to set their own rules, right? Because those individuals think they know better than God, the creator of the cosmos, or that they can reject him And then later on barter and make a deal to come back. The church in this modern era has, in a sense, uh, failed because we think we know better than God. We've set our own standards away from God's standards. We'll, We'll go to church when we want because that's good enough. And that's wrong. Or... You know what, those things I do when I lie, or I cheat, or I steal, or I look at people inappropriately, or, or anything, like I gossip, I get angry, like, that's fine, I can rationalize that. And that's wrong. I don't actually need to go talk to a priest in confession, because I can just talk to God in my car. And in one sense, you can talk to God in your car. But God gave us the sacraments of the priesthood and reconciliation and the Eucharist so that we could have a physical, tangible encounter with Him so that we don't feel like abandoned kids. And so once we get past this radical, individualistic, I don't need anyone else kind of mentality, and we get back into the sense that God has set us up for success and I submit to him for that success, I'm going to actually find more joy and freedom. It's actually not going to shackle me following the Lord's will. It's going to free me. And again, the world is trying to tell this massive lie that freedom is in doing whatever you want, whenever you want, however you want, with whoever you want, But if you really talk to the people who are living those lives, they're really not that happy. So yeah, God's disappointed. And that stinks. But the benefit, the hope, because there has to be some hope, right? The Lord's not just going to, you know, cast us out and like forget about us. He doesn't do that. He's going to challenge us. He's going to correct us. But he's going to give us opportunities to return. And so last week the opportunities like it was get back to the basics. Go to church, go to confession, encounter the sacraments. If you're if you're you know, you have young kids like introduce them to the faith, create a prayer life, do all these things, like get things going on a basic level. But let's go let's go to one more even basic step. When's the last time we authentically gave God time to say thank you? Gratitude. Gratitude is such an amazing gift that we fail to offer to the Lord because we've taken so many things for granted. Oh, I have the roof over my head, I have the, the vehicle in the driveway, I've got the job to go to, I've got the support of family, and yet God has been the instrument behind every single one of those things. When we go to Mass, and we pay attention, or we don't pay attention, and we fall asleep, or we stay awake, or whatever happens, you know, do we rush out of here at the end to beat the crazy Wabash traffic? Brothers and sisters, it's a one-way street. It's not that busy. Sometimes there's even a train that stops the traffic, right? Is it going to really cost us that much at the end of Mass to kneel back down and say a 30-second thank you to God, maybe a minute, heaven forbid, two minutes. Like, what do we have to do? Like, this is his day. This is for him. Where do I have to be? Nowhere. This is the place I need to be. Okay, you've got morning breakfast reservations. Push them back 15 minutes. You know, you, you come to Mass on Saturday nights. I'm like, There's only, like, four restaurants you can go to in Wabash. Like, you can get a reservation to go a little later. You can cook a meal a little later, and you can give God 30 extra seconds of gratitude. That's the basic thing for us to consider today. Were any of these people ever thankful for what they were given? Are we thankful for what we are given so our challenge, as disciples, as, his, as Christians, as his sons and daughters, that, yeah, even though God might be disappointed at times, to not bode and live in that place, but to, to turn and say, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for the gift. Thank you for your very body and blood In the Eucharist. Thank you for giving your life for me. So I just challenge us to consider how to seek out and offer gratitude to the Lord in all aspects of our lives, but particularly beginning in the Mass, at the end of Mass, when we can take a moment to just pause and reflect and be still in Him who's given us everything.